that's what so many of our practices are missing. There is still the uh, almost a dictator type leadership in many of our hospitals and not intentionally. That is not what people intend to do, but that's sure, the result right. where our teams yeah. don't know how to critically think and step up and they're not empowered to carry out and make the right decisions for the practice. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes, email me at andrea at furpaws.us, or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Hello, hello, positive leaders. We are so, so, so excited to be back with you all again. This one, you guys, this is the one, the only Heather Prendergast. Andrea, I are like so excited to have you on. Heather is Yes. Oh my God. Amazing. She's the CEO of Synergy Consulting. She's an RBT certified veterinary practice manager and a senior professional in human resources. Heather is also a world-renowned speaker. She's an author and basically all around veterinary management badass. So welcome Heather to the show. Thanks for coming on, Heather. Thank you guys. I feel a little bit humbled. That was a quite the introduction, but thank you. <laughs> well, it's all true. It is all true. So we don't like to read stuffy bios on the Positive Leadership Podcast. So we probably have listeners who know you and are going to be over the moon to hear from you. And we probably have some folks who have never heard of you. So we would love for you to introduce yourself and just tell all of our listeners about yourself and where you are today. I start, veterinary medicine has been my only lifelong career, job, whatever we call it. I did a little stint in Walmart when I was in high school just to get extra hours. But that was with also working in a veterinary hospital. Um, I've always been dedicated to this profession. And of course, like so many of us, we decide we're going to go to veterinary school when we're young. And so we um, get our experience, we go to college, we get our undergraduate degree, and I apply to vet school, and I don't get in. And so, oh my God, what am I going to do now? What's next? 
well, I'm going to apply again. I applied again and I was an alternate. Woo, I stepped up, but I still didn't make it. And that was my reality point that I'm going to be a registered veterinary technician, which we are in New Mexico. And my career skyrocketed from there. And I'm just such a firm believer that everything happens for a reason because I wouldn't be able to have the career I have if I had gone to veterinary school. So really, that just drove me to keep learning, keep trying, overcoming the hurdles. We all have obstacles. So I was in private practice for about 20 years and hit a plateau in my hospital. I was working with many of the practice managers that were in my area anyway because they didn't have the opportunity to go to as much CE as I had been at. And so I was really finding kind of my light of being able to help others and see their light bulbs come on. And that was my, my key moment that I was, I was time to leave practice, start my own business, start consulting, get more serious on speaking and writing and, and getting more involved in industry organizations. And, and that's really where it went from there. I took a couple of small jobs in corporate uh, with 64 hospitals or things like that. And, uh, had a lot of good learning experiences there as well and chose to come back to consulting about a year and a half ago and don't regret that one bit. That is great. Thank you so much. So what is a favorite book or podcast or, you know, CE course or something, you know, obviously related to leadership or life in general that's left a lasting impression on you? We love to share these little nuggets with our listeners. You know what? That is it's Brene Brown, Daring Greatly. It's a true reality check of yourself as you're reading through that book, self-evaluation, perfectionism, vulnerability, being ashamed because maybe you don't have all the right answers or you're not the perfect ideal piece that you want to do. And, you know, one of my biggest hurdles was, well, I can't release anything or do anything or make recommendations till I have all the information I'm absolutely sure and make what I'm making recommendations on. But that's perfectionism that leads us to burnout and failure. And so that book is probably my turning moment of it doesn't have to be perfect. It's okay. We can pivot as we go, which is hard for us in veterinary medicine anyway. And being able to live with that philosophy has let me live a greater life and being vulnerable. It's okay to admit vulnerability. And we all have history. We all have things that happen to us that slow our progress, but it's that resilience piece that we have to have in place to be able to overcome and continue growing. Yeah, I love it. David and I have talked uh, several times about putting it out there in the universe one day. We're going to have Brene Brown on the show. Uh, we have a lot of guests that come on and say, you know, go Brene. And she's, I'm she just, she's us, right? She's not, even though she has her education and she's stellar at what she does and she has research, she's still a person. Yeah. She experiences what we experience. So it's so relatable. Yeah, very much so. I'm rereading Dare to Lead with one of my leadership teams right now. And every time I read it, I get something else out of it. I'm like, how did I skip that before? <laughs> how did I miss that last, I don't know, five times I read this book? You know, it's great. I love it. Heather, you have been in our profession for a very, very long time. And a good portion of that in Small Animal, you have a remarkable, stellar career. Can you share some key insights or experiences, some aha moments or something specific that you can say really shaped your passion for management or leadership? Do you have a, a particular time where this was it that you can refer back to or share with us? You know, I think taking me back to when I was in small animal practice and I was learning how to be a practice manager and I was learning how to influence people. And the way I had been taught in all my previous roles was you just do as I say, not as I do. And that I'd never taught the why and I was never taught the why till I went to school. 
So my turning moment was seeing my owner veterinarian be a person that was such a proponent of seeking to understand and teaching the why and getting collaboration on the team. And once I started turning that and doing more research into leadership and being able to have a positive influence on my team, it that was my turning point that said, oh my God, this is the aha moment where I can travel and I can go to conferences and I can leave my team and I don't come back to excuses and, and I don't have to manage things and text messages while I'm away and my desk is not piled, piled up with things I have to take care of when I come back. I could leave and come back and it was just a normal daily routine in the practice because I had created such an amazing team that could carry all of those things out, whether I was there or not. So that liberating, is my isn't aha it? Moment. Yeah. It is very much. And that's what so many of our practices are missing. There is still the uh, almost a dictator type leadership in, in many of our hospitals and not intentionally. That is not what people intend to do. But that's the result where our teams don't know how to critically think and step up and they're not empowered to carry out and make the right decisions for the practice. And so I think, you know, as as I talk about my career and how I have changed and adapted through the times, that is probably one of my passions now taking me, you know, through technician utilization and and really making sure that we get leadership more solidified in our practices, especially with the things we are facing in today's world. Well said. I think that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. I love it. A lot of us got here, right? I mean, a lot of us started clinically, you know, and migrated to working with people. Speaking of that, what inspired you? What scared you? What led to you wanting to branch out on your own and create a business of your own, especially around consulting? I think that, you know, a lot of folks do go that route, but a lot of folks also end up, you know, purchasing part of a, a practice and kind of stay, you know, in that for their career. And so you you said, you know, I'm going to take this offline and go do this thing full time and build my brand. So what led to that light bulb decision? And, and what was that process like to build your build your brand as a consultant? It was scary. It was it was a scary decision that I contemplated for six months, at least before I left. But the aha moment was my owner, which was great, but sad, said, well, we don't even need you because our team does so much. And I thought, you're right. I mean, how liberating is that? First of all, my feelings were hurt, but it was because I was able to create that team. And I said, I need to do this for others. How, but how am I going to, how am I going to pay for it? And so that was that I had secured um, a pretty good outside just speaking consultant role uh, that would allow me to continue growing brand and, and being able to consult for a distributor allowed me to get clients. And so it was a little bit of a stepping stone. I had created my little savings pot so that I had something to fall back on if I needed to. And of course, I could always, I knew I could go back to the hospital if I needed to. So I sure. had a little bit of a, of a safety net. But that six months into it, I was like, this is the best decision I ever could do. That being said, as I still went back into the hospital just to do tech work because I missed that, you know, being out, being out of the the practice completely. Now my hands were not doing tech things. and, And that was really hard as well. So I still played a little bit in the hospital, but was not managing and then completely moved away within that first year. So talking about your consulting business. Now, you and I have had many wonderful conversations about culture and about KPIs. So I would love to dive in a little bit, blending both of those together and say, 
in the context of culture, what type of KPIs are you looking at that you're measuring on a regular basis? Typical, you know, overarching ones, not necessarily into the nitty gritty that you use to analyze a practice and its culture. I want to open the statement with, if you ask an owner or a leader, what is your practice culture like? Give me an overview. The answer is always like, our culture is awesome. We don't have any issues. So that is not my KPI. (laughs) My KPI is going in and working with the team and asking the team questions that gives me an indicator of what culture is really like. Some of those things that I like to monitor and put in place, I want to know what the employee engagement is. What, what, how involved are the employees in being able to collaborate and bring forth issues in team meetings? How involved are they in able, being able to problem solve and critically think? If we don't have employee engagement there, we don't have a good culture. So that's number one. What is our employee engagement? And we can take a look at that with the number of meetings that they have in a practice. Is it weekly? Is it biweekly? Is it monthly? Is it quarterly? Do we not have them at all? It is continuing education requirements. I firmly believe that education stimulates the brain outside of the hospital. And this is for our, our receptionist team, our CSRs included, and our veterinary assistants, that even though education is not a requirement, it should be in a hospital so that they can bring back ideas yeah, and agree, have yes. better engagement. I also do a culture assessment, which includes a 360 of our leaders. And I really work through how I'm going to coach these competencies with these leaders, because that's the eye-opening piece, is that when the competencies aren't there and aren't being demonstrated by the leaders, that's a really good assessment of where our culture sits. And so while those are not very specific, there's a few that are specific, I can definitely track practices that have better performing 360s, have more team meetings, and have CE requirements. And I can see the culture scores higher in those hospitals than those that don't have any of those. And out of curiosity, are you doing this anonymously through through a platform, something like SurveyMonkey, or do you have your own? Okay, yeah. Anonymously with SurveyMonkey. And I have two different developments. One is just a generic, less invasive culture assessment. And then I have a more intense that after we've been working on this for a bit, then I have more specific things that are in a second level of it so that I can really get get down to the nitty gritty, have those difficult conversations with the leaders about what we need to do to change. I love it. That's a yeah. KPI, whatever the you know results of a survey are or a number or a, a numeric indicator that you can look and move a needle over time. Yep. So yeah, that's great. And employee retention becomes a part of that yeah, as well, especially totally. in today's world. If we have yep. high turnover... That's a huge, clear indicator. Huge KPI right there. Yeah, right. So you talked about earlier around your hospital or hospitals that you've worked in or, or managed directly, not necessarily consulted on, and how you got them to the point where you were not needed anymore. That That's the epitome of a leader's job, right? Scary, as you said, because then the owner of the practice said, whoa, what am I paying you for? You know, theoretically. But yeah. again, that's exactly what our goals are. And so- you know, developing that level of excellence in your team, that cohesiveness, that adaptability, that partnership that they all have amongst each other is is an incredible feat. And I think a lot of hospitals struggle with that. Tell us a little bit about what you did at that practice and how you got them there. And through that, can you tell us a little bit about what are some of those common challenges that you faced and you think other practices face in that pursuit and how you would tackle those, how you would advise them now as a consultant to work through that? Absolutely. My biggest success was team meetings. 
It is getting my team involved in daily business decisions, client satisfaction pieces, patient care. And while getting people invested in teams, we had weekly team meetings. That was difficult at the beginning. But the way I got them invested is they all helped create the agenda. So everybody was, you know, if somebody would bring an issue to me and say, oh, Mrs. Smith called with this complaint the other day. And while I would listen to the complaint, I'd be like, oh, that's really good to put on the agenda. Can you add that to the to our list that we have running in the back? But then in our team meetings, I could always read people's handwriting. So that was key. It wasn't digital. I made sure it was handwriting so I knew who it was. And then I would ask them to talk about it. So in essence, I was asking them to present their ideas of what they brought to me versus me giving my own rendition of it. So that when they were presenting, they were kind of leading that topic, didn't know it, so it didn't scare them. And they got collaboration from others. And then as that collaboration piece came in, and I would say, oh my gosh, you know, this is a wonderful idea. Andrea, could you take that and develop us a survey so we can start surveying our clients, whatever it may be. And Andrea would be so excited to go develop that that survey. Well, now Andrea is owning that because she's so proud that she brought up the idea. Yay. It was a great idea. Now she's going to take emotional ownership of it. And there was not one meeting that I led. I was more of a facilitator for my team to lead those meetings. With that is it created that safe space. People could present ideas. We could brainstorm. It wasn't scary. There were many times that our meetings went over because we had so much engagement. And we would have to continue those things on the, on the next meeting. And if there was ever a point of contention where we had a difficult time trying to come to a decision, we would table it because emotions would get involved. You know, we, we have some, some tough conversations and we would table it to the next one, but people would have to have assignments like what recommendations do we have and why is that going to work? So that they had to problem solve and critically think through solutions that would work for the team thinking about you know, the whole system. How is this going to impact the receptionists, the technicians, and the doctors? And so that's really where, really where I took them to think through all of those items to be emotional owners of our hospital. As they became emotionally invested, I started sharing all of our P&Ls. Once a month, we did P&L review together. I am a firm believer of open books management because when they would understand how much it costs to run our business, versus what they just saw in revenue coming in. It changed the way yeah, they made recommendations to clients. Yeah, for sure. They made sure that we charged for things. They were the second eyes and ears for the doctors when things would get missed. That is what created the system where the team could carry the practice. And I didn't have high turnover. I, I, I had a waiting, a, you know, a waiting list of people that wanted to come work for us. But I'll tell you that interviewing is one of my weakest areas of practice management because I just didn't have to do it more than once a year, if that. So let's talk about difficult conversations. I think that is probably the one of the most challenging parts of leadership for most people, most managers, practice owners, is those very sensitive topics where we have to talk about things. <laughs> we'll just leave it as things. We all know those conversations. So can you talk to me about how Synergy and your consulting can help practice leaders coach and navigate through them, through those types of conversations? Let's start that over. Can you talk to us a little bit about how Synergy and you coach leaders in how to have these conversations? They're, they're, again, they're sensitive. They're, they're very difficult to have sometimes. Can you speak to these a little bit and how you navigate through these? 
Absolutely. So two pieces. And one is that I always work with when I'm first coming into a hospital is I need to understand the practice goals. Where are we going? What are we doing? How are we going to get there? But second is what are the values that we live by? And I want to know what the values are and what those behaviors are that are expected employees to demonstrate when they are working in the hospital. Those values are extremely important to me in these difficult conversations. Because if I can remove a little bit of the emotion out of having a a difficult conversation, it makes it easier for me as a leader. I can still be empathetic. Don't get me wrong. I can be empathetic. But if I can lead through values and the demonstrated behaviors that are expected to support those values, the conversation is much easier for me. Second is I take that to a notch of I'm not going to have a difficult conversation, but in fact, I'm going to coach you to be the best that you can be. You are a very valuable employee that I can grow you and I want to make you the best person possible in our hospital. And so let's talk about how I can help you get to that place. How can I help you overcome some of these behaviors? How can I coach you in the moment in a way that is impactful for you and that you recognize some of these behaviors that may be uh, having a difficult or a bad experience on another team member? So when I can, one, talk about values and I can flip that difficult conversation topic in my mind to be a coaching session, my mind switches, my attitude switches. And so instead of being afraid of that difficult conversation, I go in with a positive attitude that I'm going to help this person be the best they can be. And that whole conversation changes. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Great advice. And I appreciate it. I think those kinds of conversations would probably so take awkward. a lifetime to master. Yeah, they just are. You don't get on a plane or sit next to somebody on a bus or go have coffee and be like, so we need to talk about your body odor. Like that's <laughs> right. That's not what, you know, so it's so awkward for us, but it's, it is. you have to get in there way deep. I think you're right, David, because I feel like it's practice, right? Like you said, that you just have to keep doing it over and over again. Yeah. And if you don't get in there, if you don't just try it, right, and practice at it, you're never going to get good at it. And it's unfortunately, right? Yeah. And it's the fear. It's the fear that it's going to be a conflict. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be a conflict. No. So many people do not know the behaviors they are demonstrating or the impact they have on others. They just don't know. Right. They just don't Uh, know. Body odor is a clear example. We never tell somebody that they have body odor, but they can't smell it. Right. Or if they have a bat in the cave, you know, a little boogie in there, they, they don't know they need somebody to tell them. That's my role as a coach. My role is to help them get better, recognize those things where we decrease the fear of having those difficult conversations. Yeah. I want to pivot to another area of your expertise. You are an author and... A lot of folks that we interview that are, you know, excellent practice managers or thought leaders, some of them have written books or written blogs, some of them have not, some of them are just speakers. And sometimes we interview just awesome practice managers who have never spoken or or written professionally. I just wanted to kind of give the listeners some context. Um, You are the author of, I believe, one book that looks like it may have rebranded a little in the fourth edition, but originally it was front office management for the veterinary team. Third edition was in 2018, but in a little bit of research for this podcast, and please, either feel free to correct us, but it looks like there's a pivot to practice management for the veterinary team, front office operations and development, which will be in the fourth edition. And it looks like it's going to come come Releasing March 2024. Amazing. Well, congratulations. I took a quick peek 
at the third edition just on Amazon and you have 4.8 stars and 134 ratings. That's incredible. So congratulations. So tell us about how you became an author, what that process was like, and why you enjoy being an author. And please feel free to pitch the new book and the transition because it sounds like you're pivoting to a new lens. Uh, We're excited to hear about it. Two things, and I'm going to forget some portion of this question. So please um, ask the question again when we get to the end of this. When I was younger, I was always afraid to try new things. Writing was terrible when I was in school. I was a horrible grammar person. My grammar is still bad, but that's okay, right? The second is when I was offered to start attending conferences as a technician and represent Purina as a credential technician, I was able to go to 12 conferences a year where I met Connections. And Connections is all about how we grow in this industry. And while I'm an introvert, so many would never realize I'm an introvert, but uh, it was hard for me to make connections with other industry important people. That being said, as I forced myself, I had to learn to do it. And I made a connection with a publisher at Elsevier who said, you know, I think you would be really good based on your speaking to write a book that we don't have within our platform. Would you be interested? And I thought, yes, yes. Like, I have to do this. How can I not? Obviously, it wasn't perfect the first time. And I revised it for the second edition and the third edition. And now we're going to the fourth edition. And the publisher had always said, you know, by definition, you only need to revise 25% of the materials. But every two years, I had learned and grown so much in myself and my knowledge and my experience that I rewrote the book. 88%. So the second edition changed from the first. Well, that happened then to the third edition. And this fourth edition, I just said, look, this is, it's not front office management. This is overall entire practice management. And I want it rebranded. And so we were able to do that. So part of that question is, it's okay to start small. It's okay to not start perfect. We learn as we grow. As we grow, we learn in this industry. We make connections and it's going to get better. So don't be afraid of it. Just do it. I love it. I have to say, I'm going to put it out there. I hate writing. I hate it grammar. I hate all of it. I super suck at it. I hate it. And I have been contemplating, right? How can I make this happen? How can I do more of it? And even writing the speaker notes or whatever they are for for conferences, I absolutely bloody hate it, right? It's just my nemesis. And people ask me all the time, why don't you write more? That's why I hate it. I hate articles. So I, baby steps. Okay, right? Just do what Heather says. Baby steps. Baby and, steps. And do and it put small. Your, you sur- surround yourself with the smart people that are great at grammar and can proofread for you. Yes. Just get your yeah. thoughts out there and then right. let somebody else put the magic on it. Yeah, and for sure. And that's what I've done. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm editing. so bad. So true. So true. So not only did you write a book, not only do you have your um, consulting business, but you are heavily involved in leadership positions, a, a lot of them. So recently, and you'll have to update this if it's not correct, you're serving as president-elect with the Viticus Group and um, board of directors with NAVDA. I know you are heavily involved with the a lot of the, the licensing type of things. You are a member of that partner along with David and I. Talk to us a little bit about that and why. Why is that? Why do you have that passion for um, not just work, but outside organized medicine? This, this industry is my passion. And there are so many different facets that drive, one, the success of a veterinary hospital, but us as an industry. And so being able to work, work volunteer in organized medicine 
is a way that I can impact others outside of my circle or within my consulting. If I can work within an organization, volunteer my time, and be able to implement changes that is going to have a larger effect US-wide or maybe regionally, whatever it may be, or at least gets a movement going because we can talk about it, that fills my cup. There is so much passion that I have working with these industry groups to advance our profession forward. And I mean our profession veterinary in whole. It's the veterinary side, it's our credential technicians, it's our practice managers. We, as a veterinary industry, are in a hot mess. We have to make changes, we have to pivot, we have to do something different because what has got us here is not going to get us there. And so that is what drives me, Andrea, as you ask that question. And if I can serve as a role model in, in Viticus Group and Western Veterinary Conference for technicians, US-wide to say, you can do this. Yes, this is a huge organization. We have 90,000 members. So, so yeah, what? Right. Let's just try it. You, you have, you're surrounded by people that are going to help you do, do some great things. But um, I was, when I worked in corporate, I backed away from a lot of my industry volunteering pieces. And I felt that I really missed what I got to do on a volunteer basis for our industry. And I had to get back involved in those things again. And so I came back and now I'm not overcommitted. I definitely have my balances with that. But I, I put a lot into those organizations because I believe in them. I believe in their mission, their vision. And it, honestly, that's what fills my cup. I love consulting. I love seeing light bulbs come on but I love working in our organized medicine in a volunteer capacity. I love it. I love it. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So as we kind of start to round out, you know, this part of the show, I'd love to hear a little bit from you about, so, you know, you're your own boss. You run a business that is yours. You've built it. You are the CEO. You are the owner. Can you share, you know, some rewarding and challenging aspects of being the CEO of a consultant company, uh, also being your own boss? And, you know, what do you envision for the future of your of Synergy Consulting? It is, um, it's, it's great and it's scary, right? It both, you're your own boss. You're supposed to be able to make your own rules. You're supposed to have vacations when you want them. You want to take off work early for the day. But the company relies on you. Like you are it. You are the, the face for your clients. You are their contact. You're their emergency support. And so... I love it. I would not do anything different, but the work-life balance can be almost a little challenging because you get emotionally invested in your clients. That's probably my, my biggest um, hurdle is that I, I firmly believe in what they are doing, that we are going to achieve our goals. And I believe, and I put a lot into them. And so if I can't be there when they need me, that's my challenge. The second part and most rewarding is being able to hire an employee. Like, yes, I have somebody to collaborate with again. I have somebody to take, help me take the lead on things. I have somebody carrying my back when I'm traveling. But, oh my gosh, now I'm responsible for somebody else. Now it's not just me making sure that I'm earning us enough money to pay our bills. She has a family to support too. And that is a almost, I feel like, a, a larger responsibility for me. That being said is, what does that next stage look like? I'd never imagined that I would grow as fast as I did coming back into consulting. We're at maximal capacity again. And, and so I brought my, my colleague on. I thought, oh, this will take us a year and a half to max out. 
No, it took us five months. All right, what is our next decision? What are we going to do now? Like, do, who, who do we take? We have the holidays coming. We have next year, the unknown certainty of 2024. What does that look like? But that's the honest piece is I want to continue being able to serve in these leadership roles, not only in our industry, but with our practices and growing leadership strength in these hospitals and finding colleagues to join that have that same belief and will carry that out as well. So that is, um, that's the next pivotal moment. Gary, it'll be fine. Super Everything exciting works. though. That's amazing. I you love can it. Adapt. <laughs> so let's talk about a piece of advice. I want to hear from you a piece of advice that you, you would either tell your younger self, should your younger self listen, or to our managers and leaders out there. What piece of advice would you share? Surround yourself with smart people. You don't have to know everything. We have that perfectionism piece right. within us. <laughs> we want to learn. And I want to learn. I love to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. But that doesn't mean that I have to be the best at it. And there are other people, let's say recruiting. There are people that are amazing at recruiting. It's not my wheelhouse. So I don't and shouldn't focus on that. If leadership is my focus, then I'm going to surround myself with somebody that is smart, loves recruiting, and let that person, I'm going to have that person help me out and carry that Absolutely. The business. Yeah. So it is, you don't have to be good at everything, grammar or writing, <laughs> but you just surround yourself with people that can help you with that. And that's what helps grow and certainly creates better work-life balance for you. Yeah. And that's hard for all of us. This industry is driven. We are driven by people that uh, want to make sure we're having the best positive impact. And that really impacts how many hours in a day we work. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when you say surround yourself with, you know, smarter people, I always feel like, you know, that iron sharpens iron, right? There's a get your tribe together and make sure that your tribe is somebody who's going to be uplifting you and calling you out and supporting you and being there for you. And yeah, I've got my tribe and I am so blessed by them every, every day, every 55 text messages <laughs> once an hour, you know, yes. whatever it is. Yes. But I love yes. it. Yeah. It's super important. Yeah. So let's go to my favorite part of the show, which is the you can't make this shit up story. Change the names to protect the innocence. But tell us about a time where you, and I'm sure other you're going to have a good one, where your jaw like just hit the ground, your eyes popped out like pugs, palm went to the forehead, and you were like, no freaking way. Nobody can make this shit up. Tell us about a time where you were just in awe of a situation. Can I have two? Sure, absolutely. I'll keep them brief. All right. One is working in corporate. And, um, you know, we have the RHR team and we have an outside background check company that checks all the applicants. Great. We hire veterinarians. We have a site visit by the state, you know, just a regular state inspection. The inspector comes in, he's looking at, and this is a fabulous facility, um, really wouldn't have any, anything to be dinged on. And he leaves a, you know, pretty good remarks on his, on his uh, form. And he tells the practice manager, you know, you guys have done such an amazing job. I've inspected this facility over the last five or six years. Yes, your generator is getting old. It's going to have to be replaced. Blah, blah, blah. I know you're, you know, remodeling. Nothing abnormal. The next day he comes back in and says, I need to see Dr. XX immediately. And the practice manager said, well, Dr. XX is in surgery. You pull Dr. XX out of surgery and somebody else can finish that. 
Oh. And she called me on her way back to surgery. What is happening? I said, I don't know, but just keep me on on the phone. So another doctor scrubs in, she comes out and he says, you are not a veterinarian and you're practicing medicine in this hospital. Shut the front door. Get your stuff and leave immediately. Oh my gosh. No way. The practice manager was blown away. I was blown away. Our HR team was blown away. I mean, you hire a reputable company to do a background check to confirm credentials that, so that's one. Second one, again, can't make the shit up in, you know, in, in corporate. And you, I think people think they can get away with things is, you know, our revenue is not quite matching expenses. Uh, cornerstone reports are not quite matching. Like something is just off here. What's going on? Having to dig all the way into the merchant accounts and identify that somebody on the team was refunding clients to their own credit card. And I thought, oh, no. my God, I would never even, I thought you had to use the same card to apply credits to. Well, no, you don't have to. No. That's it's all in the setup piece. And I was I was appalled. This had been going on for what years and nobody had caught it. That's because you got to dig in and you got to go into those merchant accounts. You got to yeah. look at the refunds. Wasn't applied in Cornerstone, so I couldn't catch it there. Yeah, I've had the same problem happen. Yeah. And refunding cash ones to themselves. People yes. that paid food with cash and then refunding those and then pocketing that cash. So the door's not off. Yes. Yeah. And VPLs, you know, uh, Cornerstone, oh no, PVLs, right? Cornerstone Mm -hmm. is PVLs. Using PVLs as invoices, Uh, people pay cash, then they just delete out that PVL. Yep. Isn't that crazy? Oh, man. Yeah. Can't make that shit up. You're right. But yeah, the the veterinarian one was really my, that was my what the hell. And then I thought, ah, financial forensics is a whole different situation in vet med. You know, we have over 68% of practices embezzled. Yeah. That was Marsha wow. Heinke did that in her Practice Made Perfect book. Jeez. And I'm sure it's much higher now than uh, yeah. when, that, when her last edition came out. Crazy. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Analysis paralysis by data. Make it simple. Tell me about your proudest moment. Leaders that develop leaders that develop leaders. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? We have so much potential. We have so much care, compassion, and emotion in this industry. We need to care for our people, care for our pets, but we have so much we can do to make it better. Potential. That's why I love this industry. Self-care. How do you practice it? How do you decompress? My husband comes home from work and I have to stop working. And on that note, how do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? So I've tried to work through that one with my husband. He tries to keep me accountable to my timeline. 
What keeps you up at night? Rarely anything keeps me up at night, but I will wake up at two in the morning with the aha moment. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? It's going to the gym. I love starting my day 4.30 in the morning, going to the gym, having a stellar workout. I brainstorm, I problem solve, and I come back and I'm ready to hit it for the day. What color best describes you and why? I love blue, so I'm going to say blue. Sounds good. And we don't do a vodcast, so for all the listeners, she's wearing a blue hoodie and has a blue frame in her background, so I, I can see the blue all over the place. If you could be any animal, what would it be and why? I would probably be a dog, but most importantly, I would be my female dog. She's a red healer because she is the princess. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Heather. This was great. Love it. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure being here. If anyone wants to reach out to you, Heather, after listening to this wonderful episode, where can they find you? Oh, please visit my website, easy, www.synergy, S-Y-N-E-R-G-I-E-L-L-C.com. My, um, there's a link in there to send me an email. All the information on Synergy is in there as well, but that's the easiest way to get me um, because my name is long <laughs> and often has typos in the email. All right. Thanks again. Have a wonderful rest of your day, Heather. See you soon. Bye, Heather. Thank you. See ya. Bye, guys. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.